Amen. Would you stand or remain standing? If you would, we're going to go to Romans chapter 5. I have a very specific word from from the Lord for, uh, I would say for everybody, but uh, I'm going to say for those who will receive it today. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the first word, therefore, uh, is a conjunction. It's joining previous things said and stated uh, with what's about to follow. Uh, so therefore, bef- therefore, before I read that, I don't want to read all of chapter 4. Actually, I'd almost have to read from Romans 1-1 to get down to lay all the foundation, and I can't do that today, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but I will read the last three verses of chapter 4 just to lay a little foundation of what the therefore is about. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it, righteousness, was imputed to him. And you know it's righteousness if you read the, the, the rest of the previous chapter. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, he was delivered up to be crucified in our place, for our offenses, but if he had only died, that would be the end of it. There'd be no hope for us. He was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or recommends is a a word we would use today in this context. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Now, in our culture today, sinners is one of those words you don't use. It's offensive. (laughs) Let me tell you how offensive it is. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word sinner is not a discriminatory word that you use for some and leave others out. It is an inclusive word. Don't we love inclusivity today? Okay, the word sinners is inclusive. Everybody. (laughs) So, not saying some are sinners and some aren't. All of us are sinners. And any church that stopped preaching that doesn't have a right to have its doors open. They've become something other than the church. 
But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may be seated. God bless you. I don't normally give titles, but in this case, I'm going to give you a title and it's going to give away the message. Okay? If he was willing to die for you, what is he unwilling to do for you? If he was willing to give his life for you, what is there he's unwilling to give you? Now, I'm going to answer that question because there are some things he's unwilling to give you. My wife and I raised two boys. She did most of the raising most of the time. But as dad, I had to play the heavy occasionally. You know, and both of my sons at particular times would uh, pick up a knife or something that was on the table or whatever at two, and you don't give a two-year-old a knife at the table. That's why you cut their food up for them. Not because they can't do it as much as you don't want them to hold the knife. Why? It's not that they won't someday get the knife. It's that they don't have the, the, the maturity to be responsible with that knife at that time. So if I ask God, if I'm a two-year-old and I'm asking God for a knife, speaking figuratively, and he tells me no, it's not that he's withholding something from me. It's that it's a timing thing of me growing up enough to be responsible with that. In fact, the Bible says that God will withhold no good thing from them that love him. But notice the qualification. He didn't say God, the, the word doesn't say God will, will, will withhold nothing from them that love him. He said God will withhold no good thing from them that love him. There's some of us sitting here, we have asked for something. And we haven't gotten it, so we don't believe prayer works. God answers every prayer prayed by everybody. Because no is an answer. It may not be the answer you want. But if he loves you enough to want what's best for you and you to have the good then he's willing to give the answer no. Sometimes no means never. Sometimes no means not at this time. Now, I realize that in our culture today, there are fewer and fewer people that believed. Now, they can't deny the historic fact that there was a man named Jesus Christ that lived. It's in the Roman records. And he was crucified. And that it was recorded at that time that all of his followers claimed to have seen him alive, resurrected from the dead. Now, you say, well, you know, okay, okay, well, they could, no, 
if you go back through history and see the impact of those people who believed he was resurrected from the dead, it changed the course of history. Now they, you know, here in the last decade or so, it's no longer uh, 2019 BC or 2019 AD or you'd say 4 BC. Because suddenly, and the whole world was using that system. The whole world, even those who don't believe in Christ, when they did business with the area of the world that believed in Christ, had to use those dates. And somebody realized, hey, wait a minute. Every time we say 2019, it's after his death. Supposedly, this is 2019 years since his death, A.D. Uh, I'd say that event had quite an impact on the world, wouldn't you? Even the parts of the world that didn't believe in him. Because guess what? Because of the blessings of God that's been on uh, those who believe in him and whatever, <laughs> there was a period of time where in order to do business with those who were able to be a benefit to your nation, you had to go by their date. Ooh. So the culture is alive and well in here. Let's just back up a little bit. This church believes the Bible is the word of God. Period. End of story. This church believes the Bible is the final authority over all things, including what culture says. And if there's a conflict between culture and the word of God, we choose the word of God. So it, you may be in the wrong parking lot. Because if you want us to appease culture, you're in the wrong place. Because culture can't save you. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can save us. And the way to be saved is in His Word. <laughs> I am aware. That the culture has already succeeding, succeeded in silencing most Christians because they would prefer not to be mocked or ridiculed or accused. I understand that. <laughs> but the bottom line is this. If you believe the word of God and you keep that to yourself, Jesus put it this way, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father, which is in heaven. If I've been given the gift of his death for my sins, and I've been given the power of his resurrection from my sins...
and I keep that to myself? What if there was a uh, a chemical weapons attack in our area and some horrible plague was loosed and it, you said, oh, that's ridiculous. Then you just don't know much about what's going on in the world, do you? After the use of nerve gas in World War I, the world agreed, theoretically, that we would never use chemical weapons against people again. Except we know for a fact, a fact, and there are people here that I would not ask them to violate their oath of secrecy because of what they do for the government that would confirm that if they could without violating their oath. That we know for a fact that chemical weapons were used in the Middle East in the last few years. But what if there was a chemical weapons attack and some horrible plague was loosed on our country? And what if I had the antidote that would spare every life that would allow themselves to be inoculated with it? And what if I said, I'm not telling anybody and I'm keeping that to myself? Because my family and I might need that someday and I, I need to make sure I hold on to this. And yet it's, it was a, it's a, it's an amazing inoculate or, or, or serum or whatever you'd call it, antidote. Because no matter how much you use it, you don't run out of it. In fact, in giving it away, you get more. And what if I held back and let people die? When I could use that inoculation to spare their life from this chemical attack against us. What would you think of me? Right. Murderer. That's exactly right. Murderer. Well, there is an attack worse than any chemical attack. And that attack is sin. And it wars against my being. And it causes despair. It causes shame. It causes guilt. It causes hopelessness. You know, for years people said, I'm not going to church because they put a guilt trip on you. Oh, so people that don't go to church never have any guilt. They never have any shame. Really? They never. They never do. They're just the happiest people in the world. The happy people are those that don't go to church. Everybody goes to church is sad. So let's don't go to church. Really? So it must be Christians that are killing themselves at a record rate. Oh, no, it's not, is it? It's not Christians. It's those with no hope. No hope. Depressed, overwhelmed with life. What do you think the open door of that is? Sin. I don't believe in sin. You know what? It really doesn't matter whether you and I believe it or not. The 
the, the effects of sin is the evidence of sin. i got to ask you a question. If I had absolute peace and joy and trust in God to know that my Father loves me and that He is He's there with me and He's never going to leave me alone no matter what, what road He chooses that I have to travel, no matter what I have to go through. If I have that, if I have that, would I ever need to use to abuse opiates and take the risk of accidental suicide from opiates? Would I need to do that? Would I need to get chemically high to be able to stand my life regardless of what you use to get chemically high? Well, preacher, you think you're better than everybody. No, 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 no. You, you, you got this all wrong. You see, I know I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. And I'm not hiding that, not ashamed of it. I need a Savior every day. But this is the problem. <laughs> you see, once you know Him and you know He loves you, then you, there, there's certain invitations He gives, such as, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. I don't have to live in guilt. I don't have to live in shame. I don't have to experience despair. I don't have to be depressed. I don't have to live my life without hope. I don't have to. Because I have promises that are made available to me simply because I'm willing to believe the Word of God and acknowledge I can't save myself. In fact, this is the, it's, it's not that the cross represents Christianity. It's that the cross represents to humankind that they can't save themselves. Because if I believe what took place on that cross, that a, that a, that a person was born and lived innocent and then willingly died the innocent for the guilty to pay the penalty of the guilt for the guilty so that he could make them innocent in him. If I believe that, and I do, then I don't have to live without peace. I don't have to live in despair. I don't have to live hopeless. I don't. I don't have to live like that. Yeah, but what's the catch? Oh, you're right. There's a catch. There is. You have to let him save you. His way, not your way. And you have to give him the credit and the glory for being saved and staying saved. You can't take any credit for yourself. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who was the Apostle of the Gentiles, and there's only one or two in here today, I think, that would 
not come into that category. That's where, the, you know, we talk about races. The Bible, the Bible talks about races too. There's two. Jews and everybody else. And that collective term is Gentiles. So whatever your racial classification in here today, the Bible says we're all in the same boat. Gentiles. You may not like that, but that's Bible. I believe the Bible, so I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you that's where we all are. And so here we are. We're all in need of a Savior. We need a Savior. I need a Savior. I don't need a Savior once. I don't need a Savior every day. I don't need a Savior every hour. I need a Savior every breath. There will never be a time that I will be able to save myself. It's not like picking a kid up who's fallen, put them back on their feet and step back and say, okay, do better this time. That's not what that's about. That's not what salvation is. Take somebody's fallen, pick them up, put them on their feet and say, okay, now try it again and do better this time. No. That apostle Paul of uh, the apostle of Gentiles says in Romans chapter seven, in me. That is in my flesh dwells no good thing. That's not true, really. So every thought you ever have about anybody else is pure. Why did they wear that dress today? What's it to you? They're not asking you to put on the same dress. Really? What? I mean, you said there's no harm in that. Really? No harm in that, except if you knew they said, what's she doing in that dress? You'd be offended. It's no harm if I'm doing the thinking, but if somebody else is doing the thinking about me, I don't like it. In me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know what man has done? Man has spent thousands of years trying to prove God wrong. Hadn't succeeded yet. So at what point do I finally say, forget this. Why am I going to spend the rest of my life trying to prove God wrong when I can receive all of his benefits just acknowledging, just by acknowledging, you're right. I can't do this myself. I can't do this myself. You know, there's a lot of Christians that adopted that old book, uh, I'm okay, you're okay. And there's so many messages preached from pulpits that essentially are out of that book in principle. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're all okay. Oh, we're all okay. Let's all go eat. If you think that's biblical Christianity, you don't know anything about the Bible at all. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We need a Savior. But we have a Savior. But we have a Savior that is not going to make you and not going to make me obey Him. It has to be by my free choice. So, if He died for you, if He gave His life for you, what is... What is, can there be that he's not willing to give you? 
Well, let's talk about some things he's willing to give you. First of all, he's willing to love you just like you are. There are people that, that think that Christians preach, and some may, but it's not but Bible, that you have to do something for God to love you. He loved you 2,000 years ago when he hung on a cross before you were born. How can you do something for him to love you when he loved you before you existed only in his mind? He loved you. He loves me. He loves you now. I don't have to do anything for him to love me. But here's the part that many want to ignore. But he loves me too much to leave me like I am. He loves me just like I am. He loves everybody just like they are. But he loves me too much to leave me like I am. Because let's just, I'm trying to pick something that's obvious and not offensive here. But what if, what if I was a prisoner of opiates? And what's so, I, I am, this is private medical information. Okay? Uh, but I am very thankful to be al- allergic to all opiate-based pain medications. What do you do? When you have surgery, well, there's people here that's been involved when I had surgery, and they know. I had several inches of colon taken out because of severe diverticulitis, and they gave me 800 milligrams of Tylenol, and it did it. How? Because I haven't loaded my body up with stuff so that my body needed a whole lot more. Okay? Now... I'm allergic to it, so I can't take it. But do you know how many innocent people that never intended to get intended to get addicted to opiates or are addicted to opiates today because they had some kind of medical procedure or whatever, and they gave them stuff that was severely addicting for their pain, and they expect them just to get off of it when the pain diminishes. Now, come on, we're all human beings here. If I'm laying in a bed, my back is absolutely killing me, and I can't get comfortable, and no matter what I do and how I roll, and if somebody offers me a little pill that says, all oh, that'll be gone. In desperation, I'm going to take that little pill. I'm not going to ask questions. Hey, oh, yeah, just anything. Let me have some, get some relief from this pain. I want to be, I need to sleep. And yet... So many of those things are so addictive that it only takes one or two for your whole psychology to adjust to needing it. Why? Because it doesn't just block the pain. It changes the mind. And now you need it. So I'm going back because this isn't about guilt. This is about being imprisoned. What if you're a person that's in, imprisoned by opiates? I don't even know what I'm doing on this today. Somebody here must need to hear this, and I don't want to know it is because I'm not trying to embarrass you. But what if you're imprisoned by opiates? And God said to you, I love you. Okay, you love me. But I'm still imprisoned by opiates. I love you. 
but you're still imprisoned. Well, how much do you love me? Well, do you love me enough to get me out of this prison? Do you love me enough to free me from this? Oh, that's right. A lot of folks don't believe God can do that. Well, I won't require, won't call names or require testimonies here today, but I'm here to tell you right now. There are people here in this room right now that were serious alcoholics for long periods of time that God delivered them from alcoholism because of His love. Others who were on various kinds of of narcotics, heroin and cocaine and other stuff that God delivered them from it, took it out of them, completely set them free from it. So you may not believe the love of God is that powerful, but there's nothing in this world more powerful than the love of God. Oh, let me prove that to you. Look around you. And marvel at the diversity in this, just this room. The government can't produce this. Laws can't produce this kind of diversity. Culture and society aren't doing it. Culture and society are not producing this kind of diversity. I didn't produce this. The love of God produces it. The love of God produces diversity. Only the love of God can wash away the pain and the hate, the, the hate and shame from years of mistreatment in anybody's life for whatever reason. Only the love of God can do that. Only the love of God can change the way I see you and you see me as not being this, you're this, you're that. No. You're my brother. You're my sister. Only the love of God can do that. No law can do that. No force can do that. 56. Today was weigh-in day. Sunday mornings are my weigh-in day. 56. Okay? Now, like all people that have excess body. I heard this one the other day. This guy says, according to the insurance charts, at my weight, I should be six foot four. So I'm not overweight. I'm just too short for my weight. Okay. Do you have any idea how many times I tried to convince myself I needed to lose weight? And there were times I did it for a little while. I did it for a while. But then something would happen and always went back. And so here we are. You know, I had knee surgery last August and I'm still in recovery. He claims he told me this. I said, why do doctors talk to people in recovery when they don't, won't remember a thing they said? He laughed and said, well, that's why I talk to your wife too. 
And he told my wife, he really needs to lose weight. This is too much weight on these joints. Okay. Come stand by me and monitor what I'm eating. Right. But at, but on April the 14th, at 3.05 in the afternoon, that happens to be a Saturday. Something happened in here. And I walked downstairs and told my wife, I'm not starting to eat differently tomorrow. You know how you do that. I'm going to do a diet tomorrow, but today I'm eating everything I'm not going to be able to eat for a while. No. I said, I'm starting right now. I didn't do that. You can believe what you want. It doesn't matter to me whether you believe it or not. But I'm going to tell you what. Fear, health fears are a very poor reason to lose weight. It's a poor motivation. Shame of being overweight is a, is a, is a poor motivation for losing weight. Why? Because as soon as you've lost the weight, the fear of your health goes away. The shame is gone. And now what was behind the weight loss is gone. And I now can eat what I want to eat because I've lost the weight. And that's why we go, somebody said, what diet are you on? I'm not on a diet. I'm not on a diet. Seriously, I'm not. Well, how'd you lose 56 pounds? Grace of God. Now, he's used a tool for discipline called Weight Watchers because that works for me as a tool for discipline. But Weight Watchers isn't losing this weight. It's not losing the weight. The love of God did something for me in here. Oh, guess what? I had to make peace with being overweight so that the grace of God could work. Because as long as I was berating myself, shame, or I was, the doctors were making me afraid, that didn't work. I was telling this, I don't bring it up, people bring it up. You know, we were just at General Conference, and if you ever seen human, be- human ants, it's like that in the hallways. You walk a few feet, see somebody else you know, you stop and talk, you move on. It, you can, it takes forever to get anywhere. Okay? So, you know, people say, you look good. What, what do you, what, what'd you do? Whatever, you know. So, you want to talk about it? Okay, we'll talk about it. And you want to see that our eyes glaze over? You say, the grace of God. No, that's immediately when their eyes glaze over. But what is the grace of God? The grace of God is when God empowers me to do what I cannot do myself. That's the grace of God. And the grace of God is the love of God in action in your life individually. So the greatest power on earth is the love of God. If there's something about you that needs to be changed, woe be to you if you've got the strength of will to do it. I know people that have done 40-day fasts. There wasn't any Holy Ghost in it at all. They just had the ability to gut it out. 
Really? <laughs> really? And you know how I know there was no God in it? Because there was no change in them before, during, or after. And they lost a bunch of weight on that 40-day fast. And as soon as they got off of it, within a matter of months, they gained it all back and some more. Why? Because some folks fast to twist God's arm. Now, Lord, I'm fasting. Look how long I'm going. Now, I want you to do this for me. <laughs> he said, freely receive, freely give. So he's given it freely. I'm asking the question again from these scriptures. If he was willing to give his life for me, what is there he's not willing to give me for my good if I would just let him? If you've never had peace, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't describe it to you. If you've never lived your life where circumstances stayed external to you and you never let those circumstances in here and disturb you, but you trusted your father that he knew about this before it came, he knows about it now, and he knows what the outcome of it's going to be. Oh, preacher, that doesn't work. Some of you know this story. There's people here in the medical profession that can verify this story. My wife had cancer, has had breast cancer three times. The first time, God miraculously healed her, period, in the story. The second time, he gave her a word about what she was willing to let the doctor do and no more. It took five months before that doctor would agree to do what she felt the Lord said for her to do and no more. And he said, I'm going to do this, but you're going to sign this paper that if this is not enough and you die, you don't hold me accountable. And what she said, God said, is exactly what happened. And all that radical stuff didn't have to happen. But then in November of 2013, she says to me one morning, uh, I've got lumps. Okay, call the doctor right now. We're going in right now. That started a journey. <laughs> what a journey. And we went to see the doctor. Actually, it was only a PA. It wasn't, the, the, it wasn't her doctor. It was his uh, physician's assistant. She was in the room about five minutes, ten minutes, and left the room. She's going about a half hour. When she came back, she said, you got an appointment for a mammogram in uh, in an hour. Then they're going to do sonogram. And then you got an appointment with a surgeon this afternoon. She did all that while she was out of the room. We went, okay. So we left her office, went, had the mammogram done, the sonogram. And we were having lunch in between the tests and seeing the surgeon. And I looked at her and I said, what I'm believing in here, what I'm feeling in here, this is going to be different than the first two times. She said, that's what I'm feeling too. I said, I don't understand this because I'm not God. He is. But he's going to let us go on a different journey this time. Yes, he is. And he's not going to let us ask him to heal you. No, he's not. He's got a different purpose in all of this. 
And every time they did tests that fall, the prognosis came back worse and worse and worse. Finally, they said, we can't even do surgery right now because we don't. Be- the lumps are so large, we don't believe that we can get clean uh, tissue around, meaning where there's no cancer cells in that tissue. And so we're not even going to do surgery till you've had chemo. I said to her sitting at that lunch table that day, I said, if what I'm feeling is God and it's your body, you'll have to make this decision. We're going to do whatever the doctors say as long as you and I have peace in it. She said, that's exactly what I feel. It was amazing. We, the Lord had spoken to both of us exactly the same way. And so finally they said, we're going to have to do chemo just having hope that the uh, surgery will work. So we go to see the oncologist and she, she, what, what a, what a, she's become really a friend, a, a, a really good friend. We, we both love her very much and appreciate her very much, but she was very, she was kind but candid. And she said to us that first day, I, uh, I can't promise you that we can do anything for you. I can't promise you that our, that my medicine will work at all. But we'll do the best we can because all we're trying to do is get the tumors to shrink enough that the surgery can be successful. Okay? So the first of the, of the year, first week of the year of 2014, we thought we were going to be doing surgery sometime then, and then there would be possibly, they told us first. The first time they said, we'll do the surgery, and you, you probably won't even have to have chemo or radiation. So, it came all the way down to this, and so that first week when we thought she was going to have surgery, she was started chemo. And, uh, wow. What, 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 uh, what an experience that was. This whole process, this is the way we prayed. This was the only way we were allowed to pray. And we would pray this together every morning. And then there were days we would pray this several times through the day. Father, we know you love us. We know you knew about this before we had any idea. We trust you. You knew about this, you know about it now, and you know what your plan is and the outcome of this is, and we trust you in this. Whatever you choose to happen, we trust you. And we receive your peace. So every day our prayer was for peace. Not for healing, for peace. We sought for peace. First Peter three eleven, seek peace, and King James says, "Into it is pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it." And so we sought peace every day. For four months of chemo, we would walk in smiling. And walk past all this folk getting chemo, and you go. Oh, my, you feel so bad for people. This is horrible. Some sitting there alone. I can't imagine 
having to go through chemo and sit there with that stuff being pumped in your veins alone. And, 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 and you could feel the fear that was pervasive in the place, just such fear. And, you know, because the only thing people had to rely on was the medical profession and thank God for them. But do you know, do you know why if you're cut and the doctor sews it up, you know why it heals? Not medicine doesn't make the cut heal. They clean it out so that it doesn't get infected and they sew it up and thank God for that. And that's necessary. Because if it stays open and gets infected, it won't heal. But if it gets cleaned out and sewn up, it'll heal. Who does the healing? Right. God. That's why surgery works. Because they can sew up the opening. And it will heal. That's why they, you go back in, they take the stitches out. Or, or the stitches, that's a, I, that's a bad enough word. Staples. I don't want to know that my body was stapled together. I've had that happen one time. I don't really care for the idea of staples, but whatever. Now they glue it together, right? Okay. The warning on the glue bottle says, don't let this touch your skin. And now you're spreading it in the opening of my body. Whatever. I'm serious. I'm very thankful that the people that... That we dealt with through that whole process, some of the finest people we've ever come across. Such sweet, wonderful, caring, compassionate people. So helpful. So she has the surgery. Two days after the surgery, she's still in the hospital. And the surgeon comes in and says, I have the pathology report on the tissue that we removed. We didn't find any cancer at all. Wait, wait, wait. So the flesh says, Lord, if you took all the cancer out, then why do we have to go through the surgery? Because that was the plan. So we go back in to see the oncologist. And she gives us the report again. And she says, this is called a CR, a complete response. And we thanked her. A complete response to the medication. Remember now... They didn't even think the medicine would work. And we thanked her. She said, she said, the oncologist said, I will not give her name, but I'd give it to you personally. I'm just not going to say it over this. This is being streamed live to the world. Not saying the world's watching, but it could. Okay. She said to us, we, we, we walked out of her office. We thanked her. We were standing in the hallway. Her patients were there. Her staff was all there. She didn't whisper this. We, we thanked her. Thank you very much. She said, no, no. My medicine did not do this. She said, God did this. You see, he gave his life for us. He didn't withhold his peace from us. He gave us peace every day, throughout the day, as we needed it. Some of you sitting here, you're so used to living in fear, you think that's the way life is. Put on the screen for me, please. 
First John chapter 4, verse 16. I want to read a couple of scriptures here. If he gave his life for you, what is there he wouldn't, he's not willing to give you? If you want peace, peace, peace that surpasses all understanding, you can have peace. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Next verse. And herein is our love made perfect or complete, that we may have boldness, in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Stop right there. The word boldness, go back. The word boldness there in the Greek is in many other places translated confidence. And the word judgment is the Greek word K-R-I-S-I-S from which we get the word crisis. It's not talking about just that final judgment. It didn't say in the day of final judgment. But every crisis. The love of God gives us confidence in the day of crisis. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Next verse. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. That's not an accusation. That's an invitation. When it says, he that feareth is not made perfect in love, that is not an accusation. That's an invitation. If you're fearing, there is a whole lot more love of God available to you than you're currently experiencing. Because when I receive the love of God, it casts out fear. I'm not condemning you. The Bible says God gives His beloved sleep. If you can't go to sleep at night, and you have to take something to try to get to sleep, your problem's not insomnia. Your problem's not insomnia. Because if you have peace... And if you have confidence in the love of God and you believe the Father is in heaven in control of everything, no, no. You see, here's, here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I just walked right out of the picture, see. God in His love Let's me walk through things as a school. He lets me experience this so I can learn how to trust him with it. And then he gives me this so I can learn how to trust him with it. And this so I can learn how to trust him with it. Because what's coming in this world is going to require faith and peace. Because the day is coming where every Christian is going to have to decide whether you are one or not. That day is coming in the good old USA. Because right now in this country, right now, the average Christian doesn't tell anybody that they are. Why? Because of the repercussion of the culture knowing you're a Christian. 
Oh, well, you can always qualify. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe all that stuff the Bible says about this and this and this and this. Then you're not a Christian. Sorry. A Christian believes the Bible is the Word of God. A Christian is not a Reader's Digest condensation editor who takes out all the parts they don't like and leaves you with what's left. The Bible is not holy Swiss cheese. You either believe the whole book or you don't believe the book. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be unkind here. You, but, but it's a deception. It's self-deception. If you believe you can take the parts you like and throw away the parts you don't like. Oh, what's the problem with that? Because, and this isn't new today, this has been the way it's been forever. There are two worlds. There's the Lord's world and this world. If I ask you the question, according to the Bible, who's the God of this world? If you said Jesus, then you don't know your Bible. Jesus is not the God of this world. There is a world and there's another God of it. Whether people acknowledge that God or not, they serve him. Okay? The scripture in other places, instead of calling them worlds, says it's their kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. And they're not the same. And you're in one or the other. In fact, Bible, if you're a friend of the world... You're an enemy of God. That's in the book, James chapter 4, verse 4. Now, 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 now notice the sec- here, okay? He didn't say if you were a, f- if you were a friend of people in the world, you're the enemy of God. It's this world system. It's the they. You want to know who, what this world thinks? They say. They think. They. The dreaded they. And you and I will decide whether or not we're going to follow God or what they say. Well, if you're going to follow they, I'm sure they give you peace and joy and love. Oh, You see, they have a substitute for all of them. They're just not, they're just a real poor substitute. I'm going to accept you. Yes, let's all go commit suicide together. I'm not being unkind. It's what they do. They, they. I'm going to say this again. Because it needs to be said. True Christians love everybody. Because God loves everybody. But God loves the sinner while he rejects the sin. Because this world's definition of love is perverted. Because this world says, if I love you, I will agree with everything you're doing and everything you are and everything you stand for. But true love is telling somebody what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. That is not love. That is absolute selfishness. It's selfishness. 
Because when I tell you what you want to hear, I'm not telling you that for your benefit. I'm telling you that for my benefit. Because I'm telling you what you want to hear so you will accept me. It's what I get out of it. It doesn't matter what I'm saying to you, what effect that has on you. That's not my concern. If I tell you what you want to hear, however that affects you, that's your problem. Because I'm telling you what you want to hear, so you will not reject me, so you'll accept me, because it's about me. And so, here's, you know, it's quid pro quo. Isn't that the, that's being discussed all week, right? Right? This is it. I, I. I, I will I will accept you, you accept me, right? And so we both can be whatever we want to be and do whatever we want to do, live any way we want to live. And, but if you will accept me and 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 I'll I'll accept you, then that justifies it all. Justifies all of it. Because we know all of this stuff just came from a big bang, didn't it? You, you want to mess somebody's world up? Their world thoughts? Say, okay. If, what if I concede it all came from a big bang? And you simply ask the question, where did the material come from that banged? I mean, theoretically, every, all of the material and matter in the universe used to be in one central location. Okay, where did that come from? Oh, we just start with the bang. We don't try to answer that question because we don't have answers to that question because if we start with the material rather than the bang, we got to figure out where the material came from. Well, then the second question is, who set off the bang? I was reading this the other day. Not trying to impress you with this. I was reading it because of something the Lord was saying to me. And, he, and, and, and I, I read that the, the universe is expanding in all directions to the speed of light. In other words, it's still expanding. But you know what they say? It's all still expanding from that central point where it originated. It's still expanding. Now, the one thing they're not saying is, they're not saying new material is coming into existence out of nothing. Because all of the material in the universe pre-existed before the bang in this one location. You know why we, we you know why we have all these, these half doctrines where they start with a bang and they don't do the rest? Because if I have to acknowledge that there was a divine mind, a supreme being, that brought all that material in together and he set off the bang, then I've got to wonder what my relationship with him is supposed to be. What's my relationship with him supposed to be? Uh, and... If he's the originator of all this, does he have any expectations? I mean, the egotism of man is beyond comprehension. We are tiny specks of clay on a very tiny speck of dirt in a universe that's only limitless to us because man doesn't yet know how to measure the breadth of it. We don't know how to calculate it. We have no ability to calculate it. 
Because we don't believe that the universe is infinite, which is unlimited. We don't believe that. No, we don't, do we? No. I've never been taught that in any class, college or high school or any other thing I've read. No, it's not, it's not infinite. And regardless of what Buzz Lightyear says. <laughs> to infinity and beyond. That's a lie. And yes, I know I'm an old man, but I have grand, I had grandchildren. Okay. Yeah. Some people stop paying attention. So if there is, if there is a God, and I'm asking that rhetorically because I believe with every part of my being there is. You mean to say there's a God and there's no accountability to the originator? No accountability to the originator? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. He gave his life for me. He's willing to give his love. He's willing to give his righteousness. And the root word for righteousness means innocence. Because he that offends in one point of the law is guilty of the whole law. And once I'm guilty, I can never become innocent by doing good. Some of this stuff I've said before, but the Holy Ghost is wanting it repeated because there's people here that haven't heard it. So here's, here's the deal, okay? One more time. I, I, I was uh, in Toronto uh, ministering, and I got to the airport a little early, and uh, I've confessed my laziness. There was a guy... Shining shoes, and he didn't have anybody, and I just felt prompted to sit down there and talk to him. And so I, he's working on my shoes. He apologized to me. I said, for what? He said, I just gave, gave my last tract away. I said, really? Uh, and who are you giving tracts about? He said, I, I'm Muslim, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling people about Islam today. I said, that's really good, man. I, I'm glad I sat down here. So we began to talk. And, of course, all religions of the world teach some form of this, that you have to do more good than you do bad. And in the judgment, if you've done more good than bad, then you're, you go to paradise or you're saved. If you've done more bad than good, then you're lost. And I said, is that a fair summary of what you believe? Yes, sir. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, you're not from this country. No. In, in the country you're from. Or in this country that you're now a citizen of. Uh, when somebody commits a crime and they go to jail and they pay the penalty, when they come out of jail, are they now innocent? They've served the penalty. He looked at me strange and said, no. Oh, so paying the penalty for your guilt doesn't make you innocent. It's not like, okay, I got that out of the way, now I'm going to start over. No. No. And I said to him, in no place in the world does a guilty person become innocent because they serve their time. Except in God. 
when I let him forgive me because he died in my place, the guilty, the innocent for the guilty, he took my guilt on him so he could pay the penalty for me. He didn't just take my guilt. He gives me his innocence. Matthew chapter 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and not my righteousness, not for me to be righteous, his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So I'm seeking his righteousness, not my righteousness. Or I'm seeking to be made innocent by his act. That's why. That's why you and I can't be saved by what we do. Because every one of us sitting here is guilty, meaning we're a sinner. Therefore, once I'm guilty, I cannot do enough good to become innocent by my good. Because the record still shows I sinned. But he took all of that record, all of that guilt upon himself, paid the price for it, suffered the penalty for it. The soul that sinned shall surely die. The penalty of sin is death. But he took the penalty. He died. He suffered in my place. But he didn't just do that to take care of the penalty. He gives me future. And the future is one of innocence in him. Innocence. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ is there ever truly a second chance in this world. He's the only one that has has the capability of giving you a brand new start. No one else has that ability. Nothing else in this world has the ability of truly inside and outside, in your mind, in your emotions. Nothing has, nothing and no one has the ability to give you a brand new start other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, that's why Romans chapter 6 says that we are buried with Him in water baptism. The old man is the old, the old sinful man, not the figurative man, he's a literal man, but he's not the human. It's the old life, the old person is buried. That's how, that's how much he, he's able to take care of that. You, you're baptized as an act of burying the past in him. Galatians 3.27, for as many as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, you know, we don't hold you underwater. We don't hold you underwater. It's very quick. But the, the, we do baptize by immersion because you don't bury somebody by sprinkling dirt on them. So it's by immersion. Praise God. But that's the act of the old man being buried. Why? So you can rise in him and with him and through him and by him to walk in a new Life. Now, you know, I still like my mashed potatoes cooked from potatoes by loving hands and mashed and add a little bit of butter and salt to that. I'm not one of those that like to contaminate the taste of potato with the works. Not me. That's okay if you do. Some do. But I don't. I love that. I don't want my mashed potatoes out of a box where you add water. Some people want instant salvation. They want to, 
They want to avoid the process. They avoid the process. They don't want to go through the process. Well, Jesus didn't take a shortcut for your salvation. He had to die. He was buried. He rose again. My salvation is not complete till all of that takes place. He did all of that. That's the gospel. If you want the gospel in your life, working in your life fully, then you need to follow his steps. Be buried with him in baptism or die, which is repentance. Repentance is dying out to your past. Being water baptized in Jesus' name, which buries the old man. And then you receive the Holy Ghost, which resurrects you from newness of life. That's why Romans chapter 8 and verse 10 says this, if you would, please. Romans 8 and 10 says, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of... No, let me read verse 9. Thank you. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Next verse. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Next verse. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So I repent, I die in repentance, I'm, I'm buried in water baptism, and then be, by being filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm being resurrected from life. And so the same one that died for me, and was buried for me, and was resurrected for me, by His Spirit, His Spirit gives me the grace to truly repent, because the Bible says, Acts 5.32 is one place, that, gift is, uh, that, that repentance is a gift, it's an empowerment of God. That's why some people say they're sorry, but nothing changes. Because the word repentance means a change of mind or a change of direction. So without change, there's no repentance. There might be confession, but there's no repentance. So I die by his grace and love, I die out to my old man. And then I'm buried with him in baptism. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, 8, whatever. Uh, I'm buried with him in baptism. The old man is buried. And he uses that as the dividing line in my life. That's the dividing line. And then I, I'm resurrected in him by his spirit coming into me. Now, if you go back to Romans chapter 8, it's no wonder some people are confused because there's three spirits mentioned in here. Romans 8, 9, please. Chapter 8, verse 9. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. There's one. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, there's two. He is none of his. Next verse. Uh, spirit, The Spirit. The Spirit. Let's count that as four. <laughs> and next verse. If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, there's four or five, however you want to count. And yet... Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is what? A spirit. He's not two spirits. He's not three spirits. He's not four spirits. He's not five spirits. There's only one spirit. And whether you say that you identify this as the spirit of the Father or the spirit that was in the Son, or you call it the Holy Spirit, 
God's a spirit. One spirit. Oh, and let's go back to what I read to you earlier. I really am almost done, I think. I'm trying to. I'm hungry, aren't you? So, but the thing I'm most hungry for is for you to find out what Jesus will do for you. So Romans 5 and 5 says this, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, or that's King James, the Holy Spirit, which is given unto you. So when I receive the Spirit of God in me, I'm receiving the love of God in me. I'm receiving the Spirit of love in me. He, he, he's willing to give you innocence or righteousness. He's willing to give you his love. He's willing to give you hope. He's willing to give you peace. He's willing to give you joy. James 1 says he's willing to give you wisdom. There are some things in the Word of God that I can guarantee you that if you ask for them, you're getting them. There won't be any delay. If you want them, He's given. Now, if you want a million bucks, He's going to say, and why do I believe you need that? Yeah. You know how many Christians won the lottery and quit coming to church because they were too busy spending their money? Did they need that? Oh, I needed that. Yeah. And how many people that win the lottery spend the money on stuff they need? He will withhold no good thing from them that love him. No good thing. No good thing. He will withhold no good thing. There's nothing better than his love, his righteousness, his peace. His joy, His grace, His mercy. Nothing better. Nothing better. Why? Because this life is temporary. Whether you like that or not, it's temporary. I look in the mirror of the soul. And I cannot associate the number 73.5 with me. But the birth certificate says that's an accurate number. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't register like that. I mean, what are you supposed to feel like when you're 73? What are you supposed to be doing when you're 73? I don't know. I'm just going to keep on doing what he tells me to do. When he's done, it's fine with me. But life is temporary. It's life, James says, life is a vapor. Someone said the days drag by, the years fly by. It's absolutely the truth. So if Paul said it this way, if I have hope in this life only, I'm of all men most miserable. If this life is your world, if this life is everything you think about, if this life is all that matters to you, just trying to be as happy as you can be in this life, the Bible says you're miserable. Because somewhere in you, no matter what you think about that, 
somewhere in you there's the awareness. This is all temporary. I don't know if I've ever seen a day when people despise funerals any more than they do now. People don't like to go to funerals, no matter how close they are. You know, <laughs> yeah, I know you. I know you go to funerals, but we avoid funerals if we can avoid funerals. Why? Because it, we have to confront our mortality. And if I confront my mortality, then I have to ask the question. What happens after this? And I can lie to myself and say, I cease to exist. It's, well, where's the, where's the joy in that? Where's the peace in that? But if I believe the word of God, that all of this is preparation for what God's got planned for eternity... And I believe that everything that's happening here and now is just part of that qualification process to get me ready to fully participate in that. Then I got peace. I got absolute peace. I got three minutes before all your cars turn into pumpkins. So I will... Conclude with Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. I can read fast. Be careful, that's King James, don't be anxious for, for anything. Be full of care for nothing. That word careful doesn't mean today what it meant in 1611. Don't be full of care for nothing, for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Next verse. And the peace of God, which passeth, the Greek word there surpasses or is superior to, surpasseth all understanding, shall keep, guard, preserve your hearts and minds. Ah, oh, peace. Peace. To have a quiet mind and a quiet spirit. Because I'm not being disturbed or tormented by anything. Because I have a Father who is in control. And I received His love. I received His righteousness, His innocence. I received His peace, His joy, His mercy, His grace. And I didn't just get them once. He's put them in me to walk in them every day. Every day. No wonder Jesus said he came to give life and that more abundantly. When you first come to Jesus, he gives life. But the process of his teaching and giving to you will bring you to a place of abundant life. You walk out of here, there's a green slab out there. Some of you know no history of that. On February the 18th, 2003, my birthday, I get the call at 8 o'clock in the morning. That snow of the century had knocked our church building down. This at the time was our school, and that was our church building. And it was down, gone, gone. The Lord used that to bring me 
to the end of myself to a degree I never have before. And on August the 1st, almost six months later, 2003, I found myself in an altar letting him have everything that I had thought I'd given but was still trying to control. It changed my life forever. I have not been the same person since that day. I've been a Christian for years, but I was trying to bargain with him. You see, I didn't know I was, but I was. I was trying to say, I'll do this if you let me have this. I'll do this if you let me do this my way. I, I, I didn't know I was doing that, but I was doing that. But that night, Friday night, August the 1st, in a church building in Attleboro, Massachusetts, I found myself on my face, and I finally gave up everything. I had been made to believe by some that if I did that, my life would be over. Over those next few weeks, as I realized what God had done for me, I got very angry with myself because I'd allowed myself to be cheated out of the greatest thing God had ever done in my life. I'm just not God giving God control. Then who's in control? Me. Yeah, really, huh? You're in control? The greatest lie people tell themselves is that they're in control of their life. What a lie. It's the biggest self-deception we experience. That you're in control. Oh, you've got a right to make decisions. But you have no ability to make those decisions come out like he wants you to. Like you want them to come out. I trust the one who's in control. I'm willing to trust him. If you would do the same, oh, the difference it would make in your life. Because I'm not the pastor here, and so I'm not here often enough to get to know you individually. And I don't know how many of you, this is your first time ever, and how many of you have been coming a while. I've been traveling a lot doing bishop work. And I haven't been here in a little while, and so there's faces here I don't know. You don't know me either. So I'm just going to do this, and I don't have any expectations of any individual. But if God has spoken to your heart today, I don't care how long you've been a Christian or if you're not even a Christian, in commitment. If God has spoken to your heart today, and you need... To be able to let him love you because you've been trying to earn his love. You need to let him love you. You need to be able to submit and surrender to his love. I'm asking you to come. You can pray where you are. But there's something about an action that says to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a step of faith here. I'm, I'm making an action. I'm not saying anybody's going to pray for you. It's just an action. You can come stand. You can kneel. You can lie prostrate on the floor. But you you want the love of God in your heart. This isn't about joining a church. This is between you and Jesus. You need righteousness. You're tired of dealing with your guilt and condemnation. You want, you want to be free from shame. You want to be free from guilt. You want to receive His righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. For after his righteousness, for they shall be filled. From the Father. Or if you're troubled in your spirit and you need peace, come ask him for peace. 
Come ask him to teach you how to let him give you peace. Over my spirit. If you're in depression. Forever. Or you don't have hope. I pray. Come ask him. He will give it liberally. He will not hold it back. If you need the grace of God to empower you. To give you what you cannot do yourself. Come ask for it. Yes, you can ask for it back there. It's fine. But I'm just saying, there's something it does for you when you take a step of faith. When you when you act on your faith. For peace coming down. He gave his life for you. There isn't anything he won't give you if you'll let him. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. from bondage, whatever kind of bondage you're in. Freedom from fear. In the name of Jesus. I I know, I can hear it. I'm not getting up. I don't want people to think there's something wrong with me. Well, I'm sorry that you feel that way because you're cheating yourself. Yes, you can get it right there. You can get, he's willing to, he, he, you can, you can receive from him anywhere, anytime, any place. God is God everywhere. But his word's talking to you today. His word has talked to you today. Today, his word has talked to you. In the name of Jesus. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. But if the Holy Ghost has talked to you today, I'm asking you to let him work in your life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have righteousness or innocence in him. He wants you to have that. He wants you to have it. Do you believe that God's in control of your life? Do you believe that God is able to protect you, to keep you? The Lord gave me this. I posted on Facebook a couple of uh, weeks or so ago. Sometimes God keeps us from the storm. Other times God keeps us in the storm. Whichever one he does is his choice, not ours. But he will keep you. Sometimes he keeps us from the storm. Other times he keeps us in the storm. But he will keep you. It is his choice whether he keeps you from the storm or keeps you in the storm. It's his choice. But he will keep you. He will keep you. He will give you peace. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. Coming down. He will keep you. But you've got to let him. You got to let him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Again, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. But If the Lord is talking to you, let him do it. If the Lord's moving on you, let him do it. 
Let him do it. Peace, 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 peace. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Coming down. He wants to love you. But you have to let him love you. He won't force himself on you. He wants to give you peace, but you have to receive the peace. He will not violate your will to give you peace. Spirit forever. In the name of Jesus. 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 